Welcome to the Ephesiology Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the study of the early Christian movement and its implications for the church today. Michael, our resident ephesiologist. I'm Andrew Johnson, pastor at Neartown Church in Houston, Texas, and we are joined again by Steve Leston, president and CEO of To Every Tribe, a cross-cultural church planting missions and training organization. Steve, is that an accurate assessment of what I just called your organization? Perfect. Brilliant. Fantastic. I'm so glad I wrote it down. Well, we are joined by Steve for part five of our three-part series. Is it five? It is five. We, we've wow. we've just shot long past what we thought was going to be because we have enjoyed talking to Steve and he has brought so much meat to this conversation that we just keep having to say, Steve, can you come back? Steve, can you come back? Because it's really, really good. So Steve, thank you. Or you just can't shut me up. No, right. no I, I don't think that's it. I don't think, I think there's so much to mine here. Uh, Steve has written and will soon publish uh, an article about mission and what it looks like in a post-everything world where we are, we are moving into a new era of missions. We are moving into a place where we need to be aware of what is happening around us and we as Jesus lovers who desire to see other people know him cannot walk forward with our heads in the sand and ignore what's going on around us. We need to deal with what's happening as well as be willing to innovate. So Steve, thank you for coming on to, to chat more about these things. Um, as now, Let me jump in here just for a you, second, please. Andrew. And, uh, and again, to thank Steve personally. Um, but thinking about this idea of a new era of mission, I mean, that's that's uh, you read different mission books, especially uh, those that are covering history, and they'll talk about different eras in uh, in the history of Christianity or the history of missions. And I think what we want to communicate is not so much that we can identify when one era stopped and another started, yeah, good luck, uh, that. or that there was such a dramatic shift that you can't recognize one from the other. We're really talking about how history has put us on a trajectory and that these things are almost natural consequences of the things that have gone on in the past. Mm -hmm. And so in, in a real sense, it, what we're talking about is trying to understand uh, our current climate, our past climate, and then think about where is this leading us into the future as we think about areas uh, th that we need to innovate. And we know, and I mean, Steve, you can speak into this as well. We know that so often it seems like the church is behind the times. And uh, what I so appreciate about what you're bringing to us is that you're helping us to think forward here. Uh, let's anticipate where these trends are going to lead us and let's get ahead of it in a way that is going to really be beneficial to the, the Christian movement. It's a great yeah, summer. yeah, well said. Yeah, well said. Yeah, it's it's true because we're the the reality is that as human beings subdue the earth, the technology changes, events change. You know, the nations rage. All kinds of things happen. It's 
constantly going on. And sometimes we have a tendency to want safety. We want to fix a period in time and sit in that space and, and feel comfortable in that space. But but the reality is that no one's been afforded that reality, right? I mean, like we've not been given that. <laughs> no matter that, how much that, we want that, to. Yeah, exactly. And so we all have a comfort zone and we'd like to, we'd like to kind of bubble ourselves into that comfort zone. And, but the, the reality is that um, technology, things constantly innovate, the world constantly changes. And our job is to engage the vapor that the Lord's given to us, mm. right? We get this little vapor of time. We're, we're to engage what's happening and, and to be present in what's actually happening. Mm. And, and really that's always been my passion and heart for, training missionaries is to say, Hey, be present, be in that space, man. You're not trying to transport another space into this space, be where you're at and engage it with the gospel. And God is powerful enough to, to be able to engage. He's not losing ground. So, right. so, you know, be confident, be bold. Um, Steve, is that going to be the title of your next book? Engage the vapor. I think that's good. You should <laughs> engage the it should be. I think, be. I think we've landed on it. Uh, trademark to this podcast. All right. So, exactly. Steve, we we have been talking about the forces that are pressing in around us. And in a way, I almost want to say it's forcing us to change. It's our decision if we want to innovate or just be forced to look different by reality, um, by the vapor. So uh, we have been talking about different forces that are pressing in. And so... Uh, today we're going to kind of close out some of the forces by talking about war. So why is something that is so ever present as war, a quote unquote new force or, or something that we need to make sure that when thinking about missions, we are paying attention to? That is an excellent question. And I'm glad you framed it that way, Andrew, because you're right. Like when has there not been war? And so you just say, okay, if this is some force coming, what's the difference? The difference now is war in a globalized economy and war that goes on in, in, in nations that are doing multilateral agreements and stuff allows war, what goes on in a particular location, to have a direct impact on you and, and a direct impact on the church in ways that maybe it's not a distant war in a distant land. But now the impact of that hits us. So let me give you just one. And I think this is like the one piece of all the things you could say about it. And I think in my paper, I've got like not eight things that I talk about <laughs> in war, but there's probably just one that I'd want to just hit on for this podcast, which is the fact that we now have people, what we monitor is what, what are called displaced peoples. Mm -hmm. And we live in a world where transportation and movement is easy. And so... Ukraine war hits, and within the first few months, there are 10,000 Ukrainians that move into Seattle. And, and by the end of the first year of the war in Ukraine, there's over 30,000 Ukrainians that are in Seattle, Washington. So you've got a country of just 30 million people, size of California. But you've got 10,000 people, a large swath of that country, is now residing in Seattle, Washington. So if you think about this, war used to displace people, but it would displace them fairly locally. But now it's being displaced everywhere at quicker rates than it did in the past. 
And so when you have that reality and, and you stop and you think, well, one third of the nation of Ukraine is displaced. And so uh, let's tie that to missions. You know, um, if you're a missionary and you're working in Ukraine and suddenly the war hits and the people you've been laboring to bring the gospel to are now back in the town where your home church is, you know, where one of your supporting churches are, suddenly we you get to share in the mission. And, and so so the reality of the church is to recognize that that people are being moved at large numbers, not, you know, and war just accelerates that. And so the reality is, as a church, can we look at that and recognize and say, wow, we have a missionary that's out in, let's say, Central Eastern Europe, and now people from that are moving really close to us. Maybe we should join with our missionary in reaching those people with them, because this is now our collective mission. It's not just their mission anymore. It's not just we're sending somebody. The people, the nations are coming here. And, and so... One of the things you see is I just see you just see larger amounts. I should say faster displacement, maybe not in the in the end, larger amounts. But we're talking about being able to move. You know, in, in the case of Ukraine, 10 million people are are displaced in less than a year. Because we have the capacity to move 10 million people. In less than a year. So we're talking volumes now, not maybe a trickle in over the course of five or seven years, but a massive movement where thousands show up. And, and, and as a church, are we looking and being prepared? Because it isn't just a war in Ukraine, there's wars all over the place. And thousands of people are being relocated. And I think it'd be interesting for everybody who, who listens to this podcast to ask themselves, have, have has anybody from any of the wars going on in the world been dis, have been have they been moved into my region, uh, my county, my state, somewhere? Um, and maybe we should consider that that the the Great Commission is not divided up into thirds. It's not first Jerusalem, then Judea, then the once we've got this all knocked out, then we can confidently move on in power. Right, Jesus connected them all with ands. Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the world, one mission. And so, you can't you cannot separate this. And so we have to kind of recognize it's one mission. So as a church, I think we need to recognize the impact that war is having in terms of displacement of people in large sums in into your area. It's one of the funniest things that when we when we get to talk with other people about Houston and what what God has has been doing and is continuing to do in Houston, uh, that's one of the things that we really try to encourage people is like, hey, if if you have a heart for the nations, if you have a heart for for God's people um, who are from all these different places, and you know think, feel, and act differently than you might. Um, you don't have to get on a plane. Um, oftentimes, you don't even need to get in the car because they're already in your neighborhood. They are down the street. Houston is so populous. Um, I think I've spat this stat out before, but like the highest, I think the highest concentration of Nigerians um, outside of Nigeria is here in Houston. Mm -hmm. Like we we have full nations that 
say that is the location that we are going to go. Um, I know that there is an <laughs> there's an area of Sugarland uh, that has so many people from India and Pakistan, and so much so that like when people travel from those places, they know where to get the good food because it's like this is like home in these areas because all the people from our home have moved here. And so we know we can eat just like we eat at home because all of our people are here. Um, and so that that reality, that understanding that war and the displacement of people at rapid amounts means they're in your backyard. They are becoming your neighbors. They will be at your kids' schools. Like, it's here. It's here. Mm -hmm. And there's a difference between displacement from war versus like choosing to leave. Right. You know, because you're walking away, you, you people that are being displaced from war, they have nothing. Mm. They've they've lost their homes, they've lost their jobs, they've lost their bank accounts, they've lost everything. Like nothing exists. And when Ukraine went up, you know, in, in war, the bank shut down. There's no cash. There's no you're not going to the ATM to put gas in your car. Um, you, you know, so you've got post-traumatic stress, people coming out of situations they've lost loved ones families are separated the majority of the of people leaving because of war are women with their children and the men are back so you've got a lot we need to be thinking about as a church it, to 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 not just it's not just somebody moving from another country it's somebody being displaced they're being pulled mm -hmm. out with nothing with absolutely nothing and mm -hmm. uh and so we've got to think that through a little bit more um because, you know, you've got, of course, language barriers and all these things that are suddenly in this space that we that, that we that we should be ready for. Yeah, because God loves the nations. Good. I appreciate that you said that, because just because people are displaced and happen to relocate in a city in the United States doesn't mean that we don't need to take the time to get to know who they are and where they've come mm -hmm. from and what their experiences are. I, I mean, one of my concerns about re reaching out to immigrants is that the, the church might get so zealous that it just plows over and just brings the full force of American evangelicalism onto a people group when really what you're talking about is that we need to be still prepared as missionaries here and do the mm -hmm. things that missionaries prepare to do to study culture, to study language, to, you know, get to know people, know their history and, and so on, so that we right. can be somewhat sympathetic uh, with them and can genuinely become friends of theirs uh, rather than coming with an agenda to, to, you know, to force them into a, an American lifestyle or whatever. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. I mean, this is something very physiological, right? We we're we're trying to ask that question: Why is why is Jesus good for you in your context? And if we bring the gospel to them and we say Jesus is good, but only in this context, and all you need to do is become like us and jump through these hurdles, and then you can find Jesus. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, but what? What does Jesus have to say to me now in my context with my upbringing and my culture? Why is he good? Why is he the king of my world? And that requires a slowdown. 
and a listening mm-hmm. and a learning. Um, something that uh, we don't like to do a lot. Slowing yeah. down. Well, yeah, you know, I've, I've been involved with um, dealing with war, dealing with people who have been displaced, been involved with helping get people out of dangerous situations. And um, the one reality that we need to take into consideration is that um, war is the same thing as finding out you have, in many ways, it's like finding out you have potentially a terminal disease. Life becomes very present tense at that moment. you, You know, you start to just think about right now. And so some of the times that some of the ways we have to prepare for the church and why we need to start, you know, innovating and being in preparation for this is because people are coming from war. They're not ready for an existential question. You you know, where do you see yourself in five years or, you know, where do you think you'll go if you die? Like, it's like, man, I don't even know. I don't even know where I'm at. I'm I'm disoriented. I don't know if I'm going to see my husband again. My kids are crying. I can't get them under control. They lost their toys. They lost their blanket, you know, their safety blanket. I've got nothing. I'm in, I am in a place where everything that I'm, that I have right now has been given to me. I own nothing anymore. I'm living in the present tense. And part of the reality of us as Christians sometimes is that we have a difficult time living in the present tense with people. We want to drive them out of the present tense into some future state or some point of resolution. We like to resolve the present tense as quickly as possible. And because uh, we're uncomfortable being in the present tense with people. And so we really have to do some training and preparation to kind of understand people who are in present tense mentality and not come with the, you know, not come with what I would call the, the blow off. Well, man, you think all this is bad. What about hell? You, you know, like, the kind of the blow off answer. What what we really want to make sure we're doing is is understanding that present tense reality that that they're in, that people are in, and to to be present with them in that place, and yeah. um, and to love them in that space, which is really complex for us. We it, it, us meaning Westerners, us right. primarily maybe people that are from the United States. I One like thing. that, Steve, and I think this is leading into one of your innovations here that the church needs to be thinking about trauma and how to address trauma in in those sort of uh, circumstances. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. In fact, I think the, rec- the reality of all the six forces that were listed, many of them have trauma connected mm-hmm. to them. Absolutely. And the the reality of of processing trauma with people I think is, you know, you're you're either going to have trauma, you've got post-traumatic stress, you've got um, people who are literal victims of horrendous abuse. Um, not only that, in many cases, limited access to education or what we might call like an education stop point. Like I only made it to here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you're not able to just have a conversation with somebody as if I can just meet you on a train and we can talk about, you know, hey, Michael, tell me about your kids. You know, we can have this kind of straightforward conversation. But the the reality is that are we really prepared to think through how to engage appropriately, how to present the gospel with clarity, not backing away from presenting the gospel, mm-hmm. 
in a present tense situation, learning from how Jesus did that and, and what were some of the ways that he engaged people that were in difficult situations. Um, and I think that we've got to think through some of the structures that we have. Looking at the structures of our church, is this, are the structures prepared to bear the weight of these forces? And, and I would say, not as, a, not as just like a pessimistic, you know, no, it's not. But I would say we do need to update some of our structures because the weights are changing. The mm -hmm. weight of what we're bearing is changing. And, uh, and maybe we need to fortify some things a little differently. Mm -hmm. Good. Yeah. I, I mean, I love this. You know, uh, you both know very well that this is one of the passions that we have for ephesiology is that we would step into these sorts of situations and uh, and and really try to understand and uh, bring something to help uh, form and equip the, the church to address um, these issues of trauma and various traumatic experiences, whether it's from war or uh, abuse or uh, human trafficking or, you know, whatever. And uh, I, I'm excited that um, it, we are in the very early conversations of developing a uh, trauma-informed program here. We have a student that's working on uh, that as a master's degree at the moment. And uh, we're hoping here in the next several months to be able to to roll that out in something a little bit more formal. So I'm I'm excited about how the Lord has been leading us in this way, uh, because it is a it's a need. And then uh, along with that, Steve, I, I think you know it's it's yeah we need to. How did Jesus do this? How did he address the issues uh, as he was dealing with people that were having traumatic experiences. Now we use, Jesus wouldn't use trauma, right. I don't think in his language. Uh, and so we might right. be imposing something <clears throat> on him, but most definitely he engaged with marginalized people. Um, mm -hmm. You think of people that uh, were, were uh, uh, in need of healing and oftentimes they were being blamed because of the sin in their life. And can you imagine the traumatic effect that that would have when you know, when the person would know that it wasn't because of a sin, but, right. you know, something happened. Um, and so, yeah, we need to understand how Jesus did that. And I think a place that we can learn about trauma as well is from the persecuted church and how to have they dealt with those traumatic experiences. And I know you've had these experiences as I have, going into people groups that have been persecuted and, and, and it's inexplicable the joy that you still see on their face in, in uh, as they've been confronted mm -hmm. with just some of the most horrific traumatic experiences uh, that, you know, like their houses being destroyed or, or relatives being chopped into pieces or literally being crucified or, and yet the, the joy of the Lord that is in their face and in their daily lives is just amazing. And to learn from them, to understand where do they, how does this even happen uh, in these experiences? Yeah, that's right. That's right. And, and there's a, you know, this is going to sound pretty like an academic answer, but, you know, kind of the hermeneutics of suffering that there is a way people read scripture and they see things and pull things out 
in the text that we just blow past. They're not adding, they're not, you know, right. I'm not introducing a new way of reading the Bible, but sometimes in a in a non-traumatic sense, we we can individualize the Bible as to maybe some sort of promise. But one of the unique things that I've seen hermeneutically of people that I've that have witnessed horrendous believers who have suffered dearly is they have a very big view of God mm-hmm. and his glory and and they are literally meditating on it, much like David did in Psalm either 63 or 67 when he's on the run from Saul. And he says, you know, I'm, uh, my soul is thirsting for you. But then I remember you in your sanctuary and my soul is satisfied mm-hmm. as if I've just eaten a great meal. You know, that he's satisfied in his vision, his understanding of God, his memory of, of God. And, and there's an element where you know, maybe we've domesticated God a little bit and we don't see him maybe. as big as he really is. Maybe. You know? <laughs> so, you know, but something about being, I will say this for every believer, if you're engaged in the mission, your view of God will be huge because you will see the Lord do amazing things. But if you are just sitting back and consuming Christianity, God becomes very small to you. And, and, mm-hmm. uh, and he, he, the world is complicated, but God is bigger than than the complications. And when you see the Lord do work like that, you cannot help but have a huge view of God. And it's, you know, not possible. Mm-hmm. Nice. Well, we've talked about six forces uh, that we've we've kind of flirted with the innovation here. But Steve, unpack that a little bit more. Where do you see these forces uh, contributing to how we need to be thinking about innovating uh, missions today? Yeah. So I see three main structural pillars that we need to fortify and, and maybe uh, we need to innovate. And when I use the word innovate, I'm saying, let's fortify this. Let's make sure we're able to sustain ourselves. So the, these are three bigger areas and, and underneath them are a whole bunch of topics, a whole bunch of things. But I believe that we need to innovate in the world of training, in the world of engaging people and in the world of disciple making. Hmm. And, and what I mean by this is that that a lot of our training that we have today, and I, I'm going to speak primarily from a U.S., possibly Western standpoint, is designed for us to reach our culture. And so the way things are framed and shaped are framed and shaped to reach our culture. And so the idea is, the, 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 let me give you one simple example of that. There are some contexts that I have done ministry in where if I were writing a theology textbook for a believer, I wouldn't begin with theology proper, right? And so our typical theology books have the doctrine of God, doctrine of man, salvation. We kind of go in this order. And our last chapter is eschatology, all things, the end of all things. And so it kind of flows in this very logical order. Yeah. But there are contexts that... I would say, man, we need to actually begin with eschatology. And I'm not talking about who's the Antichrist. Yeah, I'm just talking about dealing in a tribal world where everything's just circular, spirits are living in trees, things like that. We need to recognize So there actually is a day of judgment. There actually is an end. There actually is a point where we're not kind of spirits are not circling the earth forever. And so in order to understand anything, we need to actually begin with a basic worldview of, or basic understanding of 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 how the Bible's viewing the world, how the Bible's engaging the world. So I would probably start with eschatology in certain contexts. 
And so my point is, is that sometimes we learn it a certain way here and it's really good for us. And, and this is how we need to learn. But it's not just, quote unquote, us anymore. These forces are telling us that it's we are living in a space where you're going to have possibly 5,000 Ukrainians in your neighborhood that are coming out of war. There could be people from Latin America that are coming out of horrible abusive situations. There could be children in the foster care system that have been rescued from sex trafficking rings. And, uh, and they all could literally be in your neighborhood. And your school teachers are dealing with it. And the people in your community are dealing with it. If you've got a school teacher, they might be dealing with this stuff. And as a church, are we stopping and saying, hey, let's think through how we train people to teach them to engage the actual world that that they're living in day in and day out. And then let's start maybe thinking through our disciple making process to not make discipleship just about making you a better version of you, but more discipling you to understand how to become more like Christ. Mm-hmm. And, and I think we've got to kind of shift those, those three areas to recognize these, these, these forces that are not coming, but have arrived at the church. They're already here. And so, so those are kind of my three pillars that I think we need to innovate on. So training, engagement, and disciple making. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Good. I love those. Those so, are good pillars. Yeah. And so if you think about, um, you know, a, a physiology masterclass. It's a it's a it's a way of innovating theological education, not just not just to say, hey, this is innovating for cost reasons, but it's an innovation for engagement reasons. Hey, let's think through how we're engaging the world. Let's think through how we're making disciples. Let's let's think through this a little bit differently so that we can we can we can actually think about the world we're living in, not not just uh, training us for the world that was. And so those kind of innovations, I think, are very critical. Um, and and I think that I, I believe uh, you're probably you know I'm you know I'm the old joke you know I'm, I'm not a prophet and I work for a nonprofit so but but I'll make a potential prophetic statement that you know I don't think the traditional uh, uh, theological education organizations are going to be uh, around in the way that they were when I went to school. And uh, because they're going to um, either prove to be, you know, way out of what you're paying for, you're not getting the fruit of on the backside. Um, but also it's not really going to prepare you for the actual work anymore. Um, mm-hmm. And so, um, and I'm not down on theological education. I'm just saying we need to we need to make yeah. sure that it's preparing us uh, for the actual world we live in. For sure. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, we're seeing it in the Western context um, in a very clearly how, you know, the traditional seminary is having to think outside of their box a little bit. And, uh, and it's, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how this ends up and where some of these will go but boy um that's almost a, a crisis in theological education and a part of that i think is is um we need to be thinking innovatively about where we are today in our culture and really what the need is the traditional seminary has been a, a place where people go to prepare to be a pastor 
and if churches are closing at the rates that they're closing today, when when those who are in seminary are are expecting to leave seminary and go into a pastoral role, that job might not be there. And so what what does that then mean about how we need to innovate our theological education? Uh, do we need to focus more attention on preparing church planters than pastors, preparing missionaries than pastors? And uh, and then what what how is that going to then form our engagement and our disciple making? Yeah. yeah and I think mission oriented training. So, Michael, you were a missionary. Um, and I think those that have served in mission context, uh, you know, are probably going to have a greater role in the training space than the professional academic theologian in in because people are going to be dealing with this issue and what we don't want to do is respond to these this issue is solely a political issue you, you know i have certain political views about a country and immigration etc i have my political views but that that's one thing i i uh, there is a reality though of how i treat people that are around me and these issues are not political issues as much as they are um, a responsibility as a believer to engage what is going on around me. And, and so we don't want to, if we just kind of ignore it, kind of keep the same box of training, the only thing we'll be responding to will, is, is this will be a political issue. These issues will be po political and that's it. Mm. And, um, and so what we're trying to, what I'm trying to do is say, Hey, let's, I'm not trying to shape your politics at all. You can be on any level of spectrum on any of these topics. But the the reality is it doesn't change the fact of what your neighborhood looks like. It doesn't change the fact of, of what's going on. And as a Christian, how will I engage? And have I been prepared to engage? Because it is they are complicated issues. Yeah. They're not easy yet. I want to like under prepare you. you. You know, and I think I think we're gonna find that the those that have global missionary experience are going to start to rise to the surface as better trainers than those who have been isolated from engaging and have kind of just been living in the world of ideas. Mm. So I, well, I want to say a hearty, I want to say a hearty amen to that. Uh, yeah. It's, it's not a surprise that everything that you just said, Steve, are uh, for the people who are already listening who are leaning in, who are willing to slow down, and who are willing to engage people where they are, that is going to take them and us farther by way of modeling, as opposed to people who have removed themselves, who have walked away. And um, again, as somebody who is working on a doctorate, uh, living in a land of books, Right. Like we, we can't just come to things with theory. We need to be about praxis. Uh, we need mm -hmm. to be there uh, engaging with the people who are around us that God has sent us to. Well, it's a both and, isn't it? It's not it an either It has to be. Or. It has yeah. to be. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. It has to be. And I appreciate that. Uh, I think, I think it's one of these things though, that it's not a matter of who gets the gold, right? We get to decide which is the most important. Oh, the, the missionary is most important or the academic is the most important. It's the fact that we must absolutely lean on each other. They both have to be valued. 
they both have to work in tandem hand in hand for us to actually get to the place where we are engaging where we are training and we are making disciples into the most uh people laugh at me when i say this the most fully orbed people that we can because christ is shaping us in all of these different ways to look like him and we have got mm-hmm. to we've got to lean in yep. we've got to lean in and listen well steve thank you very much very much for suffering through five podcasts with michael and i and uh we appreciate you uh so after these five times if somebody hasn't gone out of their way to chase you down and find you out how can they connect with you and what god is doing through you out in this world so they go to our website to everytribe.org on the contact page they can send me a note and if you want to get a copy of this once we get it published uh i will send it to everybody and for no charge so if people are interested in reading the, the document there uh would love to have them so just reach out to me it should be to every slash contact i believe and you can leave me a note and uh just tell me you want the uh you want to get a copy of this and i'd love to send it to you yeah great well the, you know what i think people are going to want to have a copy of this because we have only scratched the surface of the things that you've been thinking about and uh, especially about the innovation and so i think just just to be able to uh, see a little bit inside your mind, uh, I think it's going to be a, a real benefit for people to uh, grab a copy of this. Yeah, well, please. Thanks, thanks for, for, for doing this and thanks for allowing me to be on here. It's been an honor. It's been our blessing. It's been our blessing. Well, Steve, thank you for being with us. To you, the listener, thank you for joining us as well. If you want to continue to lean into what God is doing through Ethesiology, Visit us online at ephesiology.com or head over to masterclasses.ephesiology.com and investigate some of the innovative ways that we are approaching education and see what God might have for you there. So for Michael, Steve, myself, thank you for doing Theology and Community with us today on the Ephesiology Podcast.